this uh, weekend, uh, I want to speak to you on a subject that I've entitled of Samuel, Saul, and David. I think one of the most uh, fascinating sagas in the Old Testament can be found in the book of 1 Samuel that spans over 90 years and, uh, and, has, and involves trees, uh, three principal uh, characters, and that is, of course, Samuel, Saul, and David. This is such a fascinating and interesting account that there are actually many books that have been written just about these three men and these period of time. In fact, it's so popular, I named two out of my three boys after the names of these, uh, you know, these uh, two of the people, the principal characters, and that's of course Samuel and David, okay? I generally don't recommend people name their son Saul, but Samuel and David are, are pretty good names to uh, name your kids, okay? Now, Artie Kendall, of course, wrote a book called The Anointing, and that's quite a, a popular book and uh, sold many copies as well. I do recommend it to you if you have not read it before. But the author labeled the three men as yesterday, today, as well as tomorrow's men. In fact, a parallel is often drawn between the lives of these three people uh, in comparison to our own. But this is not the direction that I want to go at uh, for this weekend. My intention is really not for us to consider if am I a Samuel, am I a David, or am I a Saul? And the reason is because I believe there are elements of all these three men that can be found in every single one of us. In other words, Samuel, Saul, David, we can all find parts of these three persons in our lives. At the same time, I would rather for us not to be uh, self-centric when we read um, what is happening in this epic account of the lives of these three men and how they interweave with one another. Instead of making it about ourselves, let's consider about thinking what God is wanting to speak to us. Maybe it's just me, but all too often, uh, I tend to think of myself like a David. You know, when I face situations in my life or, you know, I find that I'm, you know, in a circumstance where I'm in conflict with other people, there is a tendency for us to inject ourselves as the person of David. We assess the situations that we're in and, you know, we would inherently label the people that are against us as Saul and ourselves as David, Right? Or is it just me that does that, okay? We see ourselves as being the ones who are right, who are being misjudged, who are being exploited, much like David experienced when he was under the hand of Saul. And I confess that I've done this many times in my mind, and I found that this, is, this to be something very unhealthy and unhelpful, okay? Because it really blinds me from my own errors. You know, it always takes two hands to clap, and when there's a situation, I guarantee you this, it's not always the other person's fault. We all have a part to, to play. But when I inject myself in the place of David, then I tend to not look at myself. I tend to take a path of self-justification, and I've discovered that that's not healthy. So what I want to do this weekend is to pick out some amazing principles that are being enunciated through these biblical accounts. Okay? And the values of these principles uh, transcends time and seasons. And I hope that instead of making ourselves the center of our focus, it'll help us to see the value that is in the people around us. Okay? So just to get us started, I want to give us an overview of 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. And again, if you're not yet on Church Scribe app, I want to encourage you to download the app. And our sermon uh, slides are available every week. And uh, so you, won't, you don't have to snap photos. You don't have to... Um, you know, uh, uh, try to reread this or, you know, you can just go to the app and download the slides and you'll be able to follow with the message uh, very easily. So, a quick overview of the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1 to chapter, chapter 8 basically tells us the history and the ministry of Samuel from the time before his birth, the dealings that God had in his parents' life to the point of his birth and his entry into ministry. That's all recorded in the first eight chapters. From chapter 9 to chapter 15, we, uh, we are 
are told about the rise and the fall of Saul and how God chose him and the mistakes that he made in his life that led to him being rejected by the Lord. And then from 16, uh, chapter 16 all the way to the end, it's the beginning of David, his relationship with Saul all the way till Saul's death. Now, here's a couple of uh, observations I want to give to us concerning these three men. The first observation is this. There is a David in every Saul's life. The funny thing is this, when God is looking to plant a young David, a man that is called by God or a woman that is called by God, that, that has got the purpose of God imbued in him, and God is waiting to raise up Davids, you know, both men and women, he doesn't look for the best schools that are in town. I, you know, I, on, on my Facebook feed this week, you know, all the Rafflesians are celebrating like 100 and don't know how many years of Raffles Institution. And Raffles Institution is probably the premier, uh, uh, best uh, no school in town. But I want to tell you this, when God is looking to raise to David, he's not going to put David in Raphael's institution. Oops, sorry to offend all those Rafflesians. But that's what God does. He doesn't search for the finest institutions, right? I mean, think about this. Our own senior pastor from what school is he from? Siglap Secondary. What is Siglap Secondary? No more. It's not even here anymore, okay? And, uh, but that's what God does when he looks for, for a place to plant David. Instead, here is what happens. He goes to Saul's house. He goes to a man who's been rejected and he plants David in the midst of Saul. Hello? Now, let me define a few things for us here. These are there are elements of Saul in every single one of us, right? Saul represents the insecurity that is in us. He represents earthly, unhealthy ambitions that we all have in us. Saul acts in jealousy, and the biggest deal in Saul's life is himself. No, this is a description of every single one of us. Now, if for a moment you think to yourself, no, I'm not Saul, I'm not that self-centered, then think about this. Have you ever been in a group and, every, and, and then a group photo is snapped, right? And then the person goes and WhatsApp and, you know, and sends everybody a copy of that group photo. Now, when you open a group photo, who is the first person you look for in the photo? Now, be truthful. The truth is this, we will all look for ourselves first in a group photo and if we don't look good in a photo, then the whole photo is rubbish, Right? And that's just, a, that's just a simple way for me to tell us that, hey, this is in our nature. The biggest celebrity in our lives is ourselves, right? Now, my intention is not to paint us as some horrid, incorrigible narcissist. That's not my intention. My intention is not to hammer us on the head. You know, it's simply this, to merely make us aware that this is something that every one of us struggle with. It is just to make us come to an acknowledgement that this is an element of our own nature. It's something that is common to all of us, which is exactly why God plants Davids in our lives. Now, what is David? Here, now, look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18. Okay? If you have a Bible with you at home, wherever it is, turn to this verse and keep a lookout because I'm going to come back to this verse at the, towards the end of this message. Okay? Now, 1 Samuel 16, 18 is a tremendous description of David. Look at what it says. It says this, Look, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Now, what an incredible description of David. I mean, David is everything. It's the whole package deal. I mean, here's a guy who can play the instrument, who is good looking, who, you know, I mean, he's, he's strong, he's muscular. I mean, this is, he, you know, David simply is the guy or the gal who comes along our path and he simply or she simply outshines us in every way possible. You see, the reason God brings somebody like that into our lives 
is to deal with the self-centeredness that we are all afflicted by. And David's entrance takes the spotlight off from us and onto somebody. The question though is this, what does it evoke in us? What does it bring out in every one of us? And what is our response to what is being evoked in us? Now here's the problem with Saul, right? God's Spirit departs from Saul because Saul had sinned against the Lord. And instead of uh, the Spirit of God, the Lord now sends a distressing spirit to come to Saul. Now Saul's solution was very simple, right? They told him, hey, find a man who's anointed, let the person come play the harp. And when the music is played, because it's anointed music, that distressing spirit will, will go. And so they find David and that's what David does. And so David becomes Saul's solution to the distressing spirit. Every time David plays, the distressing spirit goes. But guess what? That distressing spirit keeps coming back. Now, this is a classic example of someone who turns, instead of dealing with the root issue of the problems in his life, he decides, hey, I'd rather have a painkiller. David becomes Saul's Panadol. And that's what he is. Truth be told, all Saul really needed to do was to go to God and to repent and say, Lord, I've done wrong. Please remove this distressing spirit from me. If that didn't work, he could have always gone to Samuel and said, Samuel, please, would you intercede on my behalf? And Samuel would have prayed for him and that distressing spirit would be gone once and for all. All it required was for Saul to repent. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't go to God for a permanent solution. Guess what? He chose a painkiller. Every time it comes call David. Oh, that's temporary relief. And then later on, it comes back again. Let's call for David again. I wonder how many of us are relying on painkillers in our lives instead of going to God for a permanent solution to the problems in our lives. Instead of coming to God and says, Lord, help me in this, we find temporary, temporary solutions um, to, to, to just you know, um, suppress the problem that is there but never coming into a real solution. You see, when David comes into our lives, it reveals something in us. And the question is this, what do we do about it? You know, Trust me, David's will show up in our lives. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how you know, your star is rising over you. I promise you, God will raise up men, women who will show up in your lives who will outshine every one of us. People will rise faster than us. They will get a promotion faster than we do. They will move forward uh, earlier than us. They will be more gifted and more able, better looking, whatever it might be. But how we respond to the Davids in our lives will determine if we are going to be usable by God in the next season of our lives. You understand that? Can we make room when God raises Davids up and around in us? Can we make room for them? That's important. Right? Can we help them? Can we celebrate and enjoy their gift instead of coming against it? Because I'm telling you this, if we, we learn to be people that make room for others, it makes us even more usable by God. Now, the second ob observation I want to bring to you is this. There are Jesse's and Saul's in every David's life. You see, David spent many years under the roof of Jesse, his father, as well as under the authority of Saul. And the funny thing is this, both men failed to see the potential and the call that is on David. I mean, on hindsight, we look at David and what a great man David became. I mean, he was so great that Jesus, the Messiah, is called the greatest son of David. And it is on David's throne that our Messiah sits on. David is the only human person that has already received an appointment in the life that is to come. He's called the king of Israel, of Jerusalem. Amen. You know, and that's what, how great and wonderful David was. And here is David living under the roof of Jesse and Saul. And not once did it occur to both of them, the call and the grace that was upon David's life. Now, there are two sides to this coin I want to bring out. The first is this, okay? 
that being undervalued is always part of the process that God wants to bring us through. This is an unavoidable process that we would be undervalued. If you're looking for people to recognize and to see what God has placed in you, most likely it's not going to happen. Not only that, in all likelihood, the opposite is going to happen instead. People are going to undervalue you. And there's a good reason for that. And being undervalued by people does a few things for us. Number one, it helps us look to God for our approval instead of seeking it from people. Amen. You see, we all start out at some point in our lives seeking approval from our peers and from our friends and from the people who are above us. But God wants to bring us to a place where our only approval comes from Him. The most important approval that we are seeking after comes from the Father in heaven. The second thing it does, it causes us to know that our promotion comes from God and not from men. You see, when you know that your promotion comes from God, then you know that it is God who will sustain you in the position that God has placed you in. But if you depended on people to put you into place, you know what? For the rest of your life, you're going to depend on people as well. Because if people can put you up, they can put you down as well. But if God is the one who promotes you, all you need to do is look to the Lord. And finally, it humbles us so that we, won't, we don't jeopardize what God has for us. Now, I want to pause for a moment and make a little commentary about pride, okay? And I've discovered that pride is something that really stops us from coming into what God has for us, okay? Like, if, you, if God has a plan for your life, if you know that God has given you prophetic words and God has spoken to you many times, I want to say this, the one, one of the greatest things that can stop what God wants to do in your life is pride, okay? Let me give you a couple of verses. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 to 17, first part of 17. It says, these six things the Lord hates, yes, the seventh uh, are an abomination to Him. And it begins with the list of things that God hates, and it starts with this, a proud look. A proud look. Yep. And I think that's important. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, as well as James chapter 4, verse 6, both repeats the same verses in the ESV version. It says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Think about this. God comes against you when there is pride. I, I'm telling you, it's one thing to have men come against you. It's altogether another thing when God comes against you. Finally, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, we all know this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I mean, this is a devastating statement in the Word of God. You see, I'm not here to say that it's okay to sin in some areas and not so in others. I'm not here to say that, hey, there's some sins that are more serious than others. Sin is sin. But the Bible does distinguish that there is sin that leads to death and there is sin that does not lead to death. Nonetheless, different sins do have a different impact on our lives. For example, the Bible tells us that sexual immorality is a sin that is not committed outside the body, but it's committed in the body. And it literally affects our physical being, okay? So be very careful about sexual immorality. Now, when it comes to pride, right, it is something that literally draws the ire of God. And God Himself will bring resistance to what you're doing in your life, right? He will come and He'll oppose you in what you're doing because ultimately pride and arrogance will lead to a devastation of everything that you are seeking to build. Now, if there's something I want to say to us here in Cornerstone, to my brothers and my sisters, is to stay humble. Amen? You, you cannot imagine the power of humility. Think about this. Jesus, when describing Himself, used two words, meek and humble. God is not looking for beautiful buildings to reside in, but in Isaiah, the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet tells us this, the Lord looks upon such a one, he who is humble and broken. The Lord says, I will come and make my home with such a person. There is something about humility that attracts God and there is something about pride that repulses God away from our lives. So I want to ask us, take heed concerning this. Amen? 
Now, the second side of the coin is this, that Davids are very easy to overlook, right? The first part of the coin is that we, you know, that being undervalued is part of the process that God takes us through. But the second part is that David is really easy to overlook. And it takes a lot of effort for us to notice Davids, especially in their early years. Now, there is a recurring theme in 1 Samuel, in the book of 1 Samuel. And the recurring theme is the thought that we need to learn to see with God's eyes. Right? I mean, you think about this. At the onset, you have a man called Eli, and Eli literally lost his natural sight. But what, worse than that, he lost his spiritual sight. When he saw Hannah praying, instead of understanding what God was doing, he saw this woman and he claimed and he saw and he thought that you know Hannah was drunk. But instead, it was a woman in the throes of an encounter with God that will literally bring forth a change on the face of the nation of Israel. And as the spiritual leader of the nation, he couldn't see that. He couldn't notice that. He had lost his sight. Think about this, Goliath, he saw David coming towards him and what he saw was a kid coming at him with rocks and sticks. He didn't realize that there was a giant slayer who was about to cut his head off, right? Israel saw the heights and the looks of Saul and they kept him as, as king for de decades, even after God had rejected him as king because they had no eyes to see. Even Samuel observed Eliab and made the same mistake and judged him by his looks and said, surely God's anointing is upon this man. And God had to correct Samuel by uttering these famous words in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7, where he says, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, but man looks at the outward, outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So this is a, a theme right across one, uh, 1 Samuel that we need to learn to see as the Lord sees. And it requires an attuning, a proper calibration of our eyes. Then the last thing we want to do is to make the same mistake that Jesse and Saul made. There is something we need to realize it really takes a father's heart and father's eyes to see and look out and find the Davids that are under our roof. I know this. i got three boys. I've said this many times. The boys are oftentimes a torment to Wendy and myself, okay? Yeah, I mean, um, you, you know, the boys are a great help in many ways, but they are a great hassle as well, okay? But it is one thing to see just the outward rascal in them, but to see the David quality, the Davidic qualities that's inside, it, you know, you know that, has to, that, that has to happen. You know, I believe this prophetically, that there is a shift that's coming to our nation, and that God is removing his Davids from under Saul's house and placing them under Samuel's care. And the reason is because Samuel has got a father's heart. The reason is because fathers are needed to raise up the Davids of the future. And God is taking Davids out and entrusting them into a place where there is a genuine father's heart and a father's mental. And this is what I want to say to us here in Cornerstone, that this is what God is calling us to have here in Cornerstone, a father's mental. Amen. I believe that there already is a strong father's mental over here in Cornerstone and God wants us to maintain and keep that because the Davids that God is raising up for the next move of God is going to come forth out of this house. Amen. Woo! 26 years anniversary. This is what it's about, man. Come on. The third observation I want to bring to us is this, right? That Samuel plays not just David into his call, but he also plays Saul into his calling. And this is, the, this is what I want to say, okay? That there is something that we need to realize here. That, you know, Samuel was a prophet, yeah. He was a judge. He was a great leader over the nation. But more than that, he was a father through and through. There is something very insightful about Samuel that's found in 1 Samuel 16.1. And I want to read this to you. And this is God speaking to Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, Saul seeing that I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Now, this is the insight I want to bring to you. You know, 
Samuel genuinely, genuinely loved Saul with all his heart. And when Saul failed, it grieved Samuel. I mean, Samuel was torn apart on the inside of him. I don't know if you realize this, if you, just, if you saw this, because I'm telling you, as far as Samuel was concerned, Saul was like a son to him, right? And it grieved him. And you, know, and, and you see, that's something about Samuel, his father's heart. A father loves all his children, desires the best for all of them. Even if, if some of them goes wayward, the father's heart is always longing for them. You see, I believe Samuel knew beforehand, he, he knew from the onset, that Saul was never God's first choice. It was the people's choice. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, uh, 13, Samuel said these words to the, to the people, to Israel. He said, now therefore, here is the king that you have chosen, whom you have desired. And, and the Lord's going to set this king over you. Now, in other words, God gave the people a king that is after their own choice and their own desire. Saul was not God's choosing because the prophetic word had been from the beginning that the scepter was going to come from Judah, the tribe of Judah, and not from uh, the Benjamites, right? And so, the, and, and so he was uh, the people's choice. And yet Samuel, knowing all these and having all these understanding, continued to serve the king. He continued to serve Saul. He ministered to Saul, he anointed Saul, he placed Saul as king over the nation of Israel. That's what fathers do. They give everyone an opportunity. They love Saul and treated Saul no differently. Think about this. Jesus went up to the mountain, he prayed all night, and he appointed 12 to be apostles. And he knew at that moment who is the one that would betray him. And despite the knowledge, Judas was anointed the same way the other apostles were. He was given the same opportunities and privilege as the others were. In fact, despite his dishonesty, Judas was entrusted with the ministry coffers. The reason this is God's way is because only then can God be truly just before all people. He did not withhold the opportunities, but He gave everyone, every person, a chance. You see, God will bring both souls and Davids into our lives and our job isn't, isn't to classify, this is a Saul, this is a David. Our job is simply to love them and to place them where God wants them to be placed. And that is why Jesus told a parable, the parable of the weeds and the tares. And the issue of the parable is that the weed and the tares, they look exactly the same when they just sprout out. There, it, you, know, the, you know, it is only when they are fully matured, it's only when it comes to harvest time, then a distinction between the wheat and the tares become visibly observable. Before that, there's no visible difference. The wheat, because, you know, when it's fully matured, because it has grain, it will bow down because of the weight of the grain on its head. So the weeds will bow down. But the tares, because it's got nothing in its head, okay, it stands upright. And this becomes the visible difference. What is conveyed to us is that we cannot trust our natural eyes when it comes to discerning people. In fact, the parable tells us not to do that. We are not supposed to be paranoid going around discerning this person and discerning that person. No, and instead, our job is to love them, is to make room and to place them. And that's the pattern that the Scriptures give to us. Amen. Judgment in this matter belongs to the Lord and you don't know the outcome till the end. Amen. So I want to encourage us, take heed to the parable of the wheat and tares. Let's stop judging people. Let's love them. Let's place them. Let's have a, 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 a Samuel mantle on us when we look at people. Amen. Now, before I end off the message, I, I, I said this earlier that I want to look at 1 Samuel 16, 18. Okay? Because in this is actually a physical description of um, David. 
But in truth, it is more than just a physical description of David. It is a spiritual analysis of the qualities that we need to have in our lives for God to open doors and place us into what He's called us. You see, God calls us. God has a grace on every one of us. But there is a moment in our lives where God begins to open doors for us and He places us that, into that place that thrusts us into what He has for us. And there are certain qualities that God wants to look at. I want to look at these seven things that are there in, in David's life and give us a quick analysis of what these qualities are required for us to be, uh, to, for God to open doors and to place us into what He has for us. The first is this, okay? The first description of David is that he's the son of Jesse. This means that these are people who are planted. Okay, so I want to show you again, uh, if you have the slides, there is a uh, verse that is uh, 1 Samuel 16, 18. And the first one, of course, is uh, that he's the son of uh, Jesse. You see, what we need to realize is David's genealogy is well recorded for us. And, we, and what this means is that we are the results of those who came before us and the people we associate with. We need to understand that we must be people that are planted amongst others. We cannot fulfill what God has for us on our own. You see, one thing, Christians, we need to understand is we're not wondrous. We're not free spirits that go from one place to another. You know, on COVID season, there's so many uh, services that are going online. Sometimes we can be like spiritual butterflies. We fly from one tree, you know, one flower to another flower. We eat from here, we eat from there. But we are not planted ourselves in one place amongst people who are like-minded of the like vision and being worked through amongst God's people. Now, that's not God's intention. You see, all of us must have lineage. And I'm not talking about natural lineage. I'm not talking about what kind of family you're born into. I'm talking about spiritual lineage. We must be people that God has, that, that there has to be people that God has placed into our lives that becomes our forerunners, who becomes our fathers and our mothers. And we need brothers and sisters in this family that makes us who we are. So the question, first thing I want to ask you, who are you a son and daughter of? You've got to be a person that is planted where God wants you to be planted. And the second quality about David is that he's skillful in playing, and of course, in this case, the harp. In other words, he has to be skilled in our crafts. We need to be skillful in what God has called us to do. Now, very, very few times, you know, some, I, I've heard testimonies where people, you know, this, the Spirit of God comes upon them, suddenly they could play the piano and things like that, okay? I want to say that, that that is an unusual thing. That's probably a sign from God, okay? But... When it comes to being skillful in what God has called us to do, it does not happen overnight. It doesn't come overnight, right? It requires discipline, it requires practice, diligence, and it requires dedication to the craft in which God has called us to. Proverbs 18, 16 is a well-known verse. It says this, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Now, if God's called you to do something, I'm, I'm asking you, you've got to be diligent about it. You've got to dedicate time and effort and work at it and keep working at it because it's the skill in which we have that, that are in, in the area God's called us to. That is what will make room and open doors for us. Amen? The third quality of David is that he was a man of valor. And by this, I mean a man uh, you know, who has a heart to protect. This is a picture of a shepherd. Right? The word valor in the Hebrew is the word cha'il, and it consists of three Hebrew root words, the word shed, yut, and lament. Okay? The word shed literally is a pictogram of the fence, and it basically draws a picture of a place, a sanctuary where there's security and protection. Yut is a, a picture of a man's arm, and that's strength, and that's might, and lament is a shepherd's staff demonstrating authority. The whole picture painted is a picture of a shepherd who looks after the sheep. And that's what David was. The first job 
first description of David, that he's the shepherd boy, he's the shepherd of Israel, that God gave him skillfulness of hands, you know, uh, you know and, and, and to, to an integrity of heart, to follow after the sheep, to look after God's people. And that's essential. Our hearts must be for people, not for ourselves, if God is going to open a door for us. Amen? The fourth quality is that he's a man of war. In other words, he has a soldier's mindset. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 4 says this, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, I'm not talking about physicality here. I'm not talking about your MMA abilities or jiu-jitsu or whatever it might be. But instead, I'm talking about mindset. And it's a mindset of a soldier. And the mindset of a soldier is that they endure hardship. They know hard days are coming ahead of them. They're committed to the cause. They, you know, shed their lives of anything else that holds on to them. They become single-minded in the task of what they're called to do as soldiers. And that's the same thing God wants us to have. The fifth thing is that you've got to be prudent in speech. And that has to do with our words. You see, our speech opens doors for us. Learning to talk right, to speak right, to use the right words... Speech has to be seasoned with kindness, with gratitude, speaking well. I guarantee you this, if every time people talk to you and you're talking bad about somebody else, it'll never open doors for you, right? But if you are somebody, whenever people talk to you and you, know, and you uplift them through your words, you encourage them, doors will open for you. And what's more important about being prudent in speech is not just what you say, but learning to keep our mouths shut and not to say anything most of the time. Amen? The, the sixth thing about David was that he was a handsome person, okay? Again, we're not talking about physical looks because if we're talking about physical looks, yours truly here will never be qualified, okay? No hair, big ears, you know, only Pastor will qualify with his long hair, long flowing hair, okay? But it isn't about good looks here, but it's about our countenance, right? Do we have a cheerful countenance? Some of us, you know, our faces are marinated in lemon juice, you know, it's always, you know? Yeah, and, and God doesn't want that. That's not how God intends. We're supposed to be full of hope, joy, optimism, and it needs to overflow into our faces. And there has to be a smile on our faces. There has to be a joy in us. There must be a thankfulness in our countenance. I promise you nobody wants to spend time with one who is a lemon-faced all the time, but you want to be around people that are always cheerful. Amen? And, and we, we need to be cheerful people. And number seven is that the Lord is with him, with David. In other words, this has got to do with our walk. We have to be a people that know how to walk with God, hear his voice, spend time with him, make him the priority in our own lives, and that is what opens doors for us. You know, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. This is the message I, I have to, for you. And I know that I covered a lot of grounds today. But I just feel like this morning, God's called me just to be a sower, just to sow seed. And I want to ask you just to pause for a moment and to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what is the one part in this message that really jumped out for me? I, I guarantee you that the whole message is not for everybody. But there is something in it for every person. And if you just pause and say, Lord, what is it that you're saying to me? What is it? Which is the part? Are you asking me to have a Samuel mentor? Not to be concerned about who are the Saul's or who are the David's, but to love all. Maybe for some of us, you know, you know it's, not, it, it's the Saul nature that God is speaking to us about. Maybe we're in a place where others are beginning to outshine us, others are running ahead of us. But I want to tell you this, that God is not done with you, that this is a test, this is a moment where God sees what is our response. God brings people in to outshine us because He's also working something in us to prepare us 
for the next season that He has. Amen. And I, I want to encourage us. For some of us, we are waiting for God to open doors for us. And, and maybe what we need to do is look at that seven qualities that is in David and see, hey, is there something there that I need to adjust in my life? Amen. Wherever you are, I want to just ask you, bow your heads, close your eyes. And I like to lead us and I like to pray and ask the Lord to come and speak to all of us. And what I ask you to do is just open your hearts to the Holy Spirit. Wherever you are, in your rooms, in your living rooms, you know, wherever you might be, in your cars, maybe you're just listening to this you know, audio-wise, open your hearts. Just open your hearts. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Let's pray. Father, we welcome you, Lord. We open our hearts to you. We invite your Holy Spirit to come speak to us as only you can, Lord. Father, words that are spoken from your word, we pray it will not return to you void. It will go forth, dividing asunder soul from spirit, bone from marrow, Lord, that which is the richness, the essence, Lord, that you will distill it. And you speak it to us, Lord, in such a specific manner, making mention of names, situations, so that we know exactly what is it that you're saying to us. Father, I thank you, Lord, that there is an hour where your young Davids are arising. Men, women, oh God, and it's not just young in age, Lord, but young in the season in which you are calling us, O oh God. I pray, O oh God, Lord, that we would know how to navigate through this, Lord. And I thank you that you have not left us without a roadmap for what you want to do in our lives, Lord. Speak to us as only you can. Direct us, Lord. Father, for in thy light we see light, Lord. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, O oh Lord. Cause us to walk always in your ways, O oh God. And now, now, Lord, we do give you thanks. We do give you praise and honour and glory, Lord. And my brothers and my sisters, I want to close by speaking God's blessings over every one of us. The blessings of God the Father, the blessings of God the Son, and the blessings of God the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you now and forevermore. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I pray that you've been blessed by the service this weekend. And, uh, you know, enjoy the rest of your day. Stay safe and keep praying for our nation. And, you know, drop a note to your friends around you and let's be a light and shine for Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.